Hello, welcome to the Epistemic Unruliness stream of the Always Already podcast. This is your host, James. Um, and today we have an interesting guest, um, Professor Alfie Bown, who is the author of the book Enjoying It, Candy Crush and Capitalism. Um, this is a bad pun, but I think you will enjoy this interview um, as we talk about the relationship between capitalism, 21st century global capitalism, and enjoyment and productive and unproductive enjoyments. And so if you relish in your social media and you like playing Candy Crush or Angry Birds or you have favorite TV shows or music that you you feel is your enjoyment and that's your escape or something, um, this, uh, this episode is for you, this interview is for you. Sorry, it might make you realize that perhaps the capitalist matrix has you ensnared in more ways than you already maybe realized or always already in the matrix right but um next up you will hear alfie down All right, it is my pleasure to welcome to the show Dr. Alfie Baum. Um, Dr. Baum is the assistant professor. Um, is an assistant professor at HSMC, which is a university in Hong Kong. Uh, and he's I'm talking to you in Hong Kong right now. It's 7:15 in the morning in Hong Kong. So, Alfie Baum, congratulations for for doing this so early with us. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, internationally and across, uh, you know, the international dateline here, we're we're making this work. Um, Alfie Bound is the author of Enjoying It: Candy Crush and Capitalism, which um, was published, I believe, 2015 by Zero Books. Um, nice little connection too. We've had Doug Lane on. He was actually the first guest of the episode Epistemic Unruliness interview series. So, kind of coming full circle there. Um, and so you can hear it in the title, Enjoying It, Candy Crush and Capitalism. Um, it's a very interesting book and I will say enjoyable book to read. Um, and that'll, the pun there will be caught by the readers after they, or the listeners after they hear uh, exactly what your book is dealing with. Um, but I wanted to kick off uh, our talk today with um, your book is basically in a broad sweep dealing with the relationship between enjoyment and 21st century global capitalism. And it might seem to some people, and I guess I don't want to put words in people's mouths, but if you think of capitalism, you think of work or labor. But you make the claim that the central injunction of modern capitalism is to enjoy. So how do you um, explain that relationship between enjoyment and capitalism? Great, right. Well, uh, yeah. Yeah, right. The book's first, just out actually, December uh, 2015. So this has been out for a month or so. Um, and yeah, as you say, what I'm trying to deal with is the, the relationship of modern capitalism and enjoyment. And there's sort of various ways in which I do that. But uh, in answer to your first question, um, I've taken that argument some somewhat directly from Zizek, um, who very famously argues that um, the superego, which in Freud commands you to, to not do something uh, in the kind of modern capitalist society, commands you to enjoy things. So uh, enjoying things is kind of doing what you're told. And now obviously that reverses the idea that um, you're doing what you want when you enjoy rather than what you should be doing. Um, so, you know, because obviously we think, oh, well, when I'm enjoying um, uh, whatever it is you're enjoying, a film, uh, a uh, some pornography, a <laughs> game. Uh, well, that, that that always feels like the thing which you're doing for you, 
Um, whereas Zizek's point is that you know this is actually the the main injunction of, of society today is that to command you to enjoy things. Uh, so I try to apply that. You know, one way in which I found that useful is that you know take take Facebook feeds for example. Uh, the general attitude towards those is that we're all kind of competing to be uh, better than one another, uh, to be maybe more attractive than one another. People often say that about, say, Instagram. It's a competition to be more attractive. <laughs> Some people say it's a competition to be more uh, sort of maybe wealthy, maybe a bit, uh, or maybe cleverer. Uh, but to me, the, the one thing that seems to embody the role of sort of social media is a competition to be enjoying more. Um, and yeah. So, so yeah. So 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 you know. Yeah. Oh, look how much I'm enjoying something. Uh, <laughs> is the main message to come out of Facebook, and it, it seems to matter less what you're enjoying, just that you are. Yeah. So, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. I think it's a very interesting like point of departure for thinking of the way capitalism in the 21st century is is creating capitalist subjects, and that enjoyment is a kind of the like the the door into one aspect of capitalist subjectivation or subject creation um and and you make the point to say that it's not so much well that we're being in you know you get this injunction to enjoy but that there is a hierarchy of types of enjoyment that come as a result of that or evaluation of different kinds of enjoyment yeah i mean that that's kind of what i try to both analyze and uh take apart slightly in the book that uh, certain forms of enjoyment come with a kind of cultural legitimacy and other forms of enjoyment seem to have the disapproval of culture uh, in general. Uh, and I think that sometimes those things can be, um, those judgments, can, those kind of value judgments can be mistaken and they can, uh, sometimes the most mindless and useless and stupid form of enjoyment uh, can actually prove to be the most interesting uh, and important form. Um, so I tried to kind of show that through a variety of examples that the, the kind of hierarchy of enjoyment of which we sort of live in needs to be both sort of noticed and sort of taken apart somewhat. Uh, like hopefully we'll we'll get a chance to talk about some of the examples. But um, you know, for example, something like Candy Crush, I kind of argue that this seems like a completely useless, mindless enjoyment, but actually it really serves the purposes of, of modern capitalism and turns you into a kind of effective capitalist worker which is kind of interesting <laughs> when it, it seems to be the most distracting and useless waste of time uh, but somehow kind of turns you into uh, uh, because uh, you know i'm one more we're sort of talking about it now i guess my argument yeah go for it but <laughs> yeah that five minutes of, of distracting enjoyment on something like candy crush cookie clicker that's my content my current favorite <laughs> um with, uh, is that uh, this creates a kind of little bit of guilt function uh, so that you think you're distracted from work, you think you're doing what you want, uh, but you you create a tiny bit of a guilt which turns you back round and makes you unconsciously feel like you owe something back in to the capitalist system from which you've been distracted. So your mundane jobs, whatever else, your employer's time. So these kind of tiny misuses of your employer's time, these tiny distractions, serve to stimulate a kind of guilt function which loops back round and gives you a renewed drive to make up for it, to pay something back, to, owe, to, to give back what you owe to capitalism. So, that, so it's a good example of something which seems completely mindless and distracting and useless actually can serve a very powerful kind of ideological function. You're right. I thought that that was one of the most 
interesting, you know, parts of argumentation in the book that this this idea that the distraction is not opposite from work or you know or productivity, but that it they are working together, their counterparts, in and that work receives like a new valorization or you know more value is put into being you know you feel good about yourself again when you are like getting things done after you've had to set it off through your distraction you know like and it the other thing i guess we can stay on this now with candy crush you also spoke um in the book about football manager and and the 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 idea of uh, these like internet, uh, you know, hand, or cell phone games and maybe social media and whatnot, kind of working against people being able to reflect on the workday. Yeah, so that's the, that's the other side of that argument. So you put that better than me, uh, by the way. The <laughs> distinction between unproductive and productive enjoyment. Uh, so you know, you asked me about the hierarchies of different types of enjoyment, and I, I'm sort of saying that we live in a culture which endorses some enjoyments as useful. And other or productive or positive and other enjoyments as mindless useless uh, and as you you just sort of summarize you know, I'm, I'm trying to say that these things are not actually as opposite as they seem to be they're kind of supplementing each other um, so yeah the unproductive distractions uh, help to kind of feed you back into the belief in a productive uh, kind of enjoyment or productive work um, so yeah but in, in answer to your your next question yeah I mean that's that's just a more concrete way in which these things affect us you know uh, I um, previously had some mundane jobs one in a uh, as a chef in a gastro pub and one um, as a debt collector I used to ring people up and say like you know, oh <laughs> sounds grueling that's <laughs> you know, it's, the, it's probably the, the worst I've ever done <laughs> but uh, you know I used to take five minute breaks and uh, discuss with my colleagues our working conditions, even if that just took the form of a kind of moan, a general moan, a general criticism, or I'd sit there and, and reflect on, you know, what the, what I was doing, and eventually that probably led me to leave that job. Right. Whereas now, I think we have all these distractions on hand, so readily available. You know, many internet tabs, many mobile phone applications, and we play them in and around the workplace, on the way to work, on the way back from work. Every time we get two minutes when we're not working. And what that does is kind of harness the time that we would otherwise be using to either reflect on personally or discuss with our colleagues our kind of working conditions. Yeah, it's very, it's really interesting. Um, and I think maybe this kind of we can segue into a slightly related but different idea um, where you say that enjoyment is the key to ideology and, uh, you know, enjoyment seems natural, mm. but it's actually not. Can you? Elaborate on that. Yeah, great. I mean, that, that's one of the more sort of theoretical parts of the book, you know, which, which uh, and obviously, I guess you guys focus on critical theory, don't you? So it's <laughs> for me to talk about because I think one thing enjoyment does is it, of course, it's something we, we assume that we choose what we enjoy. You, know, you live in a, a society in which they've got, you've got so much on offer. Uh, it's really up to you what you enjoy, what what piece of music, what game, what film. Um, and I think there's something interesting going on there. That My argument is really, comes from uh, uh, the Lacanian argument that your enjoyment actually chooses you and changes you as a subject. And you, you touched on this in your first question. You know, the things you enjoy uh, 
affect you and change your subjectivity. So I'm, I'm sort of saying that enjoyment chooses you rather than you choose enjoyment. But the peculiar function of enjoyment, so, so basically in, to sort of simplify that, I'm saying that uh, it's, a, it's cultural. You know, what you enjoy is cultural, not instinctive, which is obvi- an obvious point, right? Right. If you're brought up in a particular way to enjoy certain things, you will. Um, but the, the, the more peculiarity of enjoyment is that it has a function of somehow turning something cultural back on itself and making it seem natural. So, and even when we're, we're critical theorists who, who know that, we still experience enjoyment as if it was a kind of natural or instinctive or something I'm drawn to, something I particularly enjoy, something about me which uh, tends towards the, the thing uh, in question. So enjoyment has this kind of very dangerous role of turning something clearly ideological into something which feels instinctive and natural. Right, yeah, I feel like that part of the book, as myself reading through it and, you know, until that idea is like crystallized and made explicit to you, you kind of even, you know, myself, right? So I'm reading your book and I've got music on in the background and then like everything starts to become super self-conscious as I'm like, wow, like I'm, I think I'm enjoying this music, but maybe, you know, like it, at some level, my, my agency over what I enjoy, right? There, there really isn't any. And, you know, you just got to throw your hands up in the air. I do appreciate that you still, you know, in the book, you, it, there's a very real presence of a real person who's the writer behind the words. And, you know, you're not lamenting the fact that you still enjoy things, even though you realize that enjoyment and ideology and capitalism are all interwed with each other. But you, you know, there's still a very real personality um, that comes through in, in the reading of the book. So I, you know, for the listeners at home, it's okay to enjoy. Yeah, you're still gonna. Yeah, yeah. You can't not get. You know, you can't get out of the matrix. I suppose, right? So, yeah, I'm really glad that you mentioned that because it's one thing I really I wanted to sort of make clear. You know, that like, I'm not. One thing I'm certainly not doing is is criticizing other people's enjoyment. You know, saying, oh, these people are just wasting their time on Candy Crush. You know, so it's so capitalist. It's so conformist. Uh, uh, everything I discuss in the book is is um, enjoyment, which I. I really enjoy. You know, I mean, I, I've, the amount of hours I've spent on Football Manager, I, I'm not even prepared to admit. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I get these are things which have really sort of affected and, and I think operated on me. So, and I don't, I don't stop. I still play them all. And I don't think we should, yeah, we can get out of it. I don't think there's a, a way of breaking out of capitalist structures of enjoyment. What I'm asking is to you know, ultimately continue to enjoy what you enjoy. Uh, but also think about it's kind of the power of these enjoyments on us as kind of subjects and as working subjects in the kind of capitalist workforce. Right. Yeah. And I know, I think you use the phrase and it's, you know, a popular phrase about like innocent enjoyments, but there, there isn't anything innocent about enjoyment. And I think that point comes across really well in the book while at the same time, it's not an injunction against enjoying things, but just, Mm -hmm it raises awareness, I suppose. Right. So like there was a period of about an hour and a half, two hours where I was a little self-conscious and then I slipped back into my, you know, my naturalized enjoyments. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that's important that like, uh, yeah, I, I'm interested in exactly that. Like just thinking that we, and, and people say sometimes, because my, my other main area of study, in fact, my main thing, my PhD was on laughter. And I've just finished writing that up into a book. That's nice. Over six years. <laughs> 
so, so that, and, and the same thing is true of enjoyment and laughter. There is a parallel between the two in this exact point. People say to me, oh, uh, does it stop it being funny when you've analysed it? <laughs> or does it stop it being enjoyable when you've... And the answer is obviously not. You know, it still, it still remains funny. It still remains enjoyable. Uh, and I don't think we should stop thinking, you know, finding things funny just because I, I also think that laughter can be very dangerous ideologically. Um, but I'm not saying we shouldn't laugh, which... Right. Yeah. <laughs> shouldn't enjoy. I'm just saying that you can continue to do those things with a, with a kind of awareness of um, you know how those things are, are producing different effects on us as as kind of subject. Right. So, but part of your book, um, one of the case studies that you use um, hits really close to home for us here at Always Already, um, where you talk about um, critical theory and commodity fetishism of certain theorists, and you use Deleuze and Guattari, um, and, oh, I don't have my notes running. Who is the other, th is it Leotard? Oh, yeah, or, yeah, right, yeah. okay. Um, but, so, okay, D and G hold a cult-like status within the, like, always already mythology or universe that we're creating here on this podcast. And even like giving us the phrase always already as our namesake. And, you know, we like to tweet out memes that, you know, depict the losing Guattari. And I think you talk about some of this in the book as well, that there is a kind of, you know, they, there is a cult-like status amongst radicals and maybe, you know, radical leftists who read those theories. But at the same time, it is affirming uh, a subjecthood at the same time. Um, do you want to explain that a little bit more? Yeah, okay, well, um, I think I can just bring the previous discussion about enjoyment into this one, because I think what I'm interested in, I like Deleuze, obviously being someone who's interested in Lacan, it's kind of like assumes that I'll be anti-Deleuze sometimes. <laughs> I'm actually, actually, Deleuze was the first theorist I read, and, and the first thing, thing I read which got me interested in critical theory, and probably the thing which made me study a master's degree and PhD, so... I'm a big, big reader of Deleuze, and, and I like it. And I think, say, for example, uh, Deleuze is definitely anti-capitalist. Right now, mm. I think also readers of Deleuze, if we ask them, tend to say that they're anti-capitalist. And I think, say, your podcast's one example. Um, but my argument about enjoyment is that it's this kind of strange kind of connector between subject and object, or between the person enjoying and the thing being enjoyed. So enjoyment is this kind of invisible link between you and, in this case about this discussion, the text in front of you. Oh, yeah. And there are other ways to read, right, of course. So not all reading is enjoyable. But uh, enjoyment is an invisible sort of relationship between you as an enjoyer and the object being enjoyed. And I think it's perfectly possible for Deleuze to be anti-capitalist, you to be anti-capitalist, but the enjoyment connecting you and Deleuze to be completely <laughs> and completely, and perhaps you used the right word when there's a degree of kind of commodity fetishism going on. Yeah, that's, that's really fascinating to, you know, that if we say that there's three components maybe without getting too yeah. like elemental or like breaking things up, but that the relationship that is bringing these two anti-capitalists together is a relationship, I guess, that only kind of has its form or has meaning within a much wider context that is still capitalist. And 
I, I, I thought, you know, this again, like, as I was reading this, it was, you know, it gets progressively more self-conscious and then I forgot about being self-conscious. But, uh, I, you know, I have a picture of mine on Facebook where it's not Deleuze and Guattari, but it's Hegel's phenomenology that I'm reading it on the beach in Puerto Rico. And, and it was kind of like, you know, it, but the whole thing was like more of a setup for the picture and to like kind of show myself as like, I'm trying to slug through Hegel on the beach, right? And it's like, you know, in that moment, as I'm reading through this, I was just like, wow, because yeah, I, it, it becomes a kind of capitalist performance in some it does, way. It does. There's something more fun there than Hegel on the beach. That's <laughs> a more unique picture. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, my my whole idea behind all that was that like, I feel like Hegel's views on modernity teleology are like negated if you study the Caribbean. So I was like, I'm gonna try to, you know, the Caribbean defies that telos. But but like, yeah, it, there I was, right, performing capitalist subjecthood, engaging, you know, Facebook and you know the whole corporate side of, of whoever printed that book you know whichever printer that book came from so one thing i guess i can say about your book is being printed by zero books so it's a little more your book at least is a a little less under the thumb of perhaps you know it's just like a straight up publisher somewhere that isn't isn't specializing in radical radical publishing but I guess, but of course, like you know, the the uh, radical publishing industry is its own kind of, is its own kind of, uh, its own kind of. I don't know it's, it's its own kind of system, which because the, the identity of the radical is something I wanted to kind of. I sort of touched upon in the book. And I think that could be someone else. Someone else could maybe write about that. But I think that <laughs> the way we conceive of ourselves as radicals and and uh, come to like your your example, you know. Uh, Deleuze on the beach and oh, Hegel on the beach and I've done the same you know I, I um, took when I went to Berlin I posted pictures of me at Hegel's grave like <laughs> and stuff like that you know and so but these these are parts of constructing the identity of the radical right to sort of notice those things and, and yeah just just by just by being claiming you're a radical and posting some stuff about Deleuze and but then on the other hand you know people have got to be allowed their small uh, <laughs> Their little enjoyments, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we should stop posting pictures of, of, of that sort of thing, but again, you know, it is something we can perhaps uh, be worthwhile thinking about. For sure. Uh, so one of your other case study examples um, was twerking. And mm. you compare twerking to picking one's nose or biting of the fingernails. And I just have to say, I have not read you know, like an academic breakdown of like the twerk movements, but you, you're really, in, it's cl you're clear in saying that like, what what is twerking actually, right? Because it's not actually simulating sex acts because it's a little too fast or it's a little too, you know, but then what is it, right? It's this other just kind of this, mm. something we stare at, something we find interesting because it doesn't really map on the other way, other places. Hmm. Yeah, I mean that was what like fascinated me about um, you know twerking and um, the example of Gangnam Style, which um, is also discussed in the book, and which Zizek has commented on twerking. Is something <laughs> <laughs> which there you go, another right. I know Zizek was another one of the figures you talked about that like has a cult following, and people enjoy 
Zizek is enjoyable just to watch, talk, right? Actually, that's what I was going to say in answer to your question, that Zizek's a good example. You know, everyone likes to see the sort of sweat on his brow and the flecks of spit flying off his mouth towards the audience. And these are part of his appeal, and there's a kind of um, disgusting uh, abject thing going on, and also something you're kind of drawn to. Um, so, uh, yeah, and, and picking one's nose, biting fingernails are similar... Uh, but th those are examples which I gave in the book of um, enjoyment which does not fit uh, into these categories which I've sort of outlined. So I started with a discussion of unproductive and productive enjoyment uh, and thinking about how they function. So that included examples like reading critical theory, enjoying critical theory, and all the way down to like uh, in examples of playing Candy Crush and Angry Birds. Um, <laughs> then I tried with the sort of final part of the book, and the, that was the hardest part, uh, to, to try and think about what enjoyments don't fit those models which I kind of outlined. And yeah, the enjoyment of um, biting your fingernails, picking your nose, watching Zizek spit, uh, and twerking odd movements, bodily movements, our kind of way we're drawn to those things. Um, they, they don't fit these particular models. Uh, and I think that I use the Lacan's idea of jouissance there to, to think about mm. how uh, there's an enjoyment which is not on your side necessarily or it's you know for example biting your nails it's this kind of um uh it's a kind of limit isn't it where you're kind of you're enjoying doing something to the detriment of you mm. um, but you're also not it's not the same as sort of you're not harming yourself but it's this kind of you're kept in a weird kind of balance where there's something unexplainable still about enjoyment. so that part of search for moments of enjoyment which un which threaten the capitalist attempt to explain and understand and use enjoyment. So that the sort of overall argument was that capitalism works as a structure to manage, control, regulate, and, and ensure the effects of enjoyment serve its own purpose, right? Yeah, I think, and you know, in all those examples, and it was something that I was like, well, maybe this, is there a way, something to loop them through? Is it that they're all embodied or kinesthetic enjoyments that like, whether it's picking your nose, biting fingernails, twerking, Zizek spitting and stuff, you know, like, are, are, is there something maybe that because they're just, just embodied and it's not engaging technology or there isn't, the body's not actually being commodified in those moments. Well, maybe twerking gets commodified through, through technology though, right? Like if you video the twerking and then put it online or something like that becomes a commodity. But do you think, and I, this is not something that you wrote about in the book, but I was just trying to see like what it, what makes these forms of enjoyment kind of escapable from capitalism? Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. And the other thing that just jumps to mind when you use the word kinesthetic is the, the Harlem shake. Ah, yes, yeah. <laughs> because, but again, the, these things like went viral as straight, and, and they're a good example aren't they, of something that's like, really popular, really enjoyable, but bloody strange. <laughs> and, and something which really doesn't seem to fit our kind of models for explaining these things. Um, so, yeah, I did, I'm not sure if I'm saying they escape capitalism, um, but more they, they sort of just point to the limits of our, our, system, our current kind of understanding. Uh, and maybe some of these enjoyments point to a, a kind of limit where capitalism hasn't quite it's out of control. It's not, mm. as I was saying just a minute ago, you know, my enjoyment is that, in, my argument is that enjoyment is very much controlled. And I think that it's also escapes that control and that no one's in control of some of these enjoyments. And 
maybe the, the, the sort of viral journey through the internet that the Harlem Shake takes is part of this kind of straight, it's one of these strange moments where something just shouldn't be doing that. Um, but it just has this power to kind of erupt out. And right. Interesting radical moments or anti-capitalist moments as well. Even if it is completely coded and even like twerking, you know, even if in the end of the day all it does is make money for Miley Cyrus and her <laughs> team of producers. You know, I think too, maybe in that, like, you're you're using jouissance and uh, the excessiveness of it. Like, anything that's excessive is threatening the capitalism's need to categorize and, you know, contain and label and make things tidy. And, and that's not to say that something that is initially excessive can't become contained, but those moments of excess always the, you know they they are categorically excessive too and they 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 bleed out or leak out and i think thinking of that or looking for those moments uh, is at least right if you're trying to look for a radical way maybe okay this is this can maybe set up the next and like my last question i think cuz we're coming up to about our half hour mark here uh, but you at the end of the book you you talk about uh, Department of Enjoyment Studies, you know, the hypothetical Department of Enjoyment Studies, and you you know we a lot of cultural studies and critical theory makes use of pop culture these days, and you talk about that like you know classes based on Beyonce and whatnot. So if you were a dean laying out the Department of Enjoyment Studies, uh, what would Enjoyment Studies contain and con curtail? Yeah, great. Yeah, well, this is something that again. From my personal experience as an academic i'm, I'm an academic and i'm someone who, who works on popular culture so i wanted to reflect on the way that uh, these enjoyments are located within the university and my problem is that the university seems to do something um like pull these enjoyments onto its side so popular culture studies tends to take an example from popular culture and say Beyonce or uh, basketball. I mean, I've looked through just hundreds of these, uh, and use it to prove that Foucault or Deleuze or Lacan was always right. <laughs> so you know, you could have used Shakespeare to prove Foucault was right. You could have used um, any other example, piece of literature, or you could use a new piece of popular culture. So what ends up happening is this tendency. With this tendency, is that nothing changes in the university. It's just that the university is yet again proves correct by its study of enjoyment and by its study of popular culture. So my argument is that these kind of studies tend to kind of pull enjoyment onto its side. They kind of say that um, here's something being enjoyed by people, and here's how the university knows how to explain it. What I was proposing in a semi-joking way was the Department <laughs> of Jouissance Studies or the Department of Enjoyment Studies which would be dedicated to looking for exactly moments where critical theory does not explain uh, existing moments of enjoyment in our culture. So, uh, you know, it would be, if you can explain your enjoyment using Foucault, you found the wrong piece of enjoyment. Mm. You, you, you've got to look for moments of enjoyment in our culture, which um, do not fit the existing kind of models. So that's where, you know, towards the end, just try to, think about how we might uh, have some hope as well as this kind of depressing argument that all enjoyment is regulated and controlled by capitalism. Uh, you know, perhaps in amongst it all, uh, we could search for these moments which, uh, which don't uh, match up with existing thought, existing understanding, and which sort of force us to consider things in new ways. So, so that would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I, I think it would be. I think that that's again because like with the joyousness and the excessiveness and looking for those moments that right now at least defy explanation or defy conforming into a a model or, or you know a pattern of how we've already thought about these things um, has tremendous impacts for you know beyond just enjoyment right like just just for critical thought generally could benefit from that yeah and i mean look jouissance is not something which escapes capitalism or which escapes but but it's something which um is not easily explainable in those terms it could be it can be both uh the most conformist and the most radical at the same time whatever those things mean um so yeah it, exactly it's 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 uh it's a case of saying it's not saying oh look we can get out of this uh, system but it's saying the system has hiccups Mm. It just has blips, um, which, which by noticing and discussing, we can do something. Right. Wonderful. Well, Alfie Bound, I've enjoyed talking to you today. Um, yeah, it's been great. Thanks so much for having uh, me on. Uh, yeah. Thank you again. It's 7.46 a.m. in Hong Kong. Another coffee and I'll go to work. <laughs> Author of Enjoying It, Candy Crush and Capitalism. Also editor of the blog Everyday Analysis um, and brand new father. So congratulations. Thank you. Take care. Once again, I want to thank Dr. Alfie Bound for coming on the show. He's a day ahead of me in half a world away in Hong Kong. Um, again, and another bad pun, but I really enjoyed that conversation. And I don't know, maybe the word enjoyment gets thrown around so much now. I'm so conscious of it um, after having prepped for this interview and talking with him. I don't know what else I would say. I took great pleasure in that interview or, you know, I feel like I've received, uh, I don't know, some effective boost for that conversation. I guess anything we say somehow will feed back into enjoyment, but why it's so important that we enjoy things. um, uh, Yeah, let's chew on that for the next, uh, you know, week or two until you hear the next episode of Epistemic Unruliness. Um, why do we use enjoyment as a benchmark for things that are successful or good? Um, it, this is not a natural thing. Um, so I enjoy you all, my listeners, and there are other things coming up in the pipeline. So take a look at the Always Already website. You can see what we have scheduled for the Epistemic Unruliness interviews, as well as what the main show is planning to do. Um, and on behalf of the entire team, this is James signing off. Thank you. Ciao. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Always Already podcast, which is created by James Padalini Jr., Emily Crandall, Rachel Brown, B. Altman, and John McMahon. Visit our website, alwaysreadypodcast.wordpress.com. Email us text you'd like us to discuss, advice questions for us to answer, dreams for us to analyze, to alwaysreadypodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, at alwaysreadyon. Like us on Facebook. Uh, like us on SoundCloud. We're recently on there as well. Uh, Thank you, as always, to my friend Leah and to B for the music in this episode. Until next time, have an always already day.